The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together, and nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck, and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Just like baseball, the catcher position is back. Or is it? Welcome to Fantasy Baseball today, Thursday, June 25th, and this is our Catcher Preview 2.0 for the 60-game MLB season. Frank Stample joined by Scott White and Chris Towers, and last season, seven of the top 12 catchers in head-to-head points leagues were waiver wire pickups. That's not normal, is it, guys? Uh, No, definitely. I mean... I don't know. I guess if you think about it as like catcher, one has so many injuries uh, to the bar for relevance is just incredibly low. I would actually not be that surprised if that was not atypical for uh, catcher. It's sort of like tight end in football where there's like three or four good ones there's three or four players who you would actually use at a different position, maybe. And then there's basically, you're just hoping someone hits a home run or catches a touchdown in football. Yeah. And so I think that probably does lend itself to a, uh, to a position that has a ton of year to year volatility. And also just your draft investments don't matter that much. Right. So few are drafted unless, you know, if it's a one catcher league, basically just the only number that are drafted are the number of teams that are in the league because nobody's playing a catcher at a flex spot or at a different position. So that there's always in a one catcher league, I feel like there's always a surplus of usable catcher talent out there. It, you know, may not be, it may not be uh, particularly good, but it's, it's usable, and I think that's especially true this year. There, uh, you know, it's it's not a deep position, but it's it has a lot of interesting contributors that make it. So it's it's really not worth paying up for. I will say, we're having that same discussion in football right now, and it feels like m- maybe it's less true in catcher, but it feels like we have that same discussion every single year in football, like. This is the year, guys, that tight end isn't going to be horrible. Look at Hunter Henry and Evan Ingram and Mike Gusecki's going to stay. And it's and, and then it's like, at the end of the year, it's like, oh, no, it was just Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, and Zach Ertz who were any good at all. And, like, right. it might but be I, true this year, and it I, might be I, true I for catcher. Yeah, I don't know that we have that conversation about catcher every year. Uh, and, and, part of, and part of my point is, is also um, that because – because the 13th best catcher is always going to be out there. You know, it's very easy for the 13th best catcher to become the seventh or eighth best catcher. Like it's, it's really easy to, uh, if, if you guess wrong at catcher in a one catcher league to just swap it out for the right answer after the fact, you know? Well, Scott, what is your typical strategy when it comes to drafting catchers? I assume it changes in a one catcher league versus a, two-catcher league, typically Roto Leagues are two-catcher leagues, and will it change this year in a 60-game season? It actually doesn't change that much because the second catcher in a two-catcher league is uh, it, it's difficult to to turn that into an advantage for you, really. I mean, you could invest heavily and draft two catchers early, but then you're taking on a lot of risk and volatility that you know may not be wise to do. Uh, so I, uh, it doesn't change that much, whether it's one catcher or two. If, if I really feel like 
there's somebody out there at an appropriate point in the draft that I think could be an actual difference maker for me at the position. Uh, give me production that would be better than something that would emerge on the waiver wire after the season begins. Then I will invest a little bit in it. You know, in, in years past, like the, the Buster Posey era, that might have happened as early as round three or four. I think some years maybe I've gone for a catcher in round two. But the earliest, I think it's justifiable now with JT Realmuto being the top option and with there being, with it looking a little deeper than it has in years past and with there being so much offense available at every other position and with starting pitcher being a higher priority than in past years, I can't really justify Realmuto until like round six. And, you know, it's, it's basically five catchers for me. It's, it's Realmuto, it's Gary Sanchez, it's Wilson Contreras, he has Monty Grandal and Mitch Garver who in terms of per game production was actually by far the best catcher last year. Those five, I think are the ones who I have hope can set me apart at the position. Uh, if I invest in catcher, I'm usually taking the last of them. It's usually Garver. It's usually in like round 11, but if I miss out, I'm probably going to be the guy taking the 12th catcher, whoever's the best catcher that's still available with my very last pick. Chris, in a one in a one catcher league, do you have a cutoff? Because it sounded like Scott really likes to target one of those top five, and if not, then I'll just wait. But do you have a cutoff where it's like, okay, Wilson Ramos is the last catcher that I need to have in a one catcher league, or uh, Omar Narvaez, like the top seven or eight? Do you have a cutoff where after that catcher you don't feel comfortable with them as your starter? No, but only because half your league is probably going to have a starter they don't feel comfortable with anyway. Um, Wilson Ramos is probably, if you look at ADP, he's 171st on fantasy pros ADP right now. I would say he's definitely the last catcher being drafted who I feel confident is going to be someone you are not actively looking to replace, or at least wouldn't consider replacing. I think there's probably only five guys who I really think there's just almost no chance you'll be looking to replace them. Uh, Real Muto, Sanchez, Yosemite Grandal, Wilson Contreras, and Wilson Ramos. Uh, so I definitely think Wilson Ramos is the best value. But like, there's a pretty good chance that Mitch Garver or Salvador Perez is also in that group. I just I think they're less sure. Um, but yeah, I would say Wilson Ramos is definitely the last one where if I was going to reach at all, he's the last one I would do it for. Yeah, I agree with that, actually. For me, it, w it was my top eight catchers with Wilson Ramos being the cutoff there where, you know, after that, sure, I'm sure, like, those catchers will be fine, but Ramos is probably the last one that I feel confident in in a one-catcher league. Let's move into ADP review and look at the elite tier, the top tier. It's consumed by two catchers, as you would expect. It's JT Realmuto and it's Gary Sanchez. Realmuto has an ADP of 53. He's being drafted in the fifth round of a 12-team league versus Gary Sanchez, who has an ADP of 76.8 and is being drafted in the seventh round. Remember, back in 2018, Gary Sanchez had an ADP inside the top 20. He was a second-round pick, and now you're getting him in the seventh round. Scott, who do you prefer between JT Realmuto and Gary Sanchez, and is it close? I've gone back and forth with this. I originally preferred Sanchez um, because I felt like the ceiling was higher. Actually, last year, uh, even though Sanchez had kind of a disappointing season, he averaged more head-to-head -head points per game than Realmuto. Uh, but it's in a five-by-five five context it gets a little trickier because real Muto, he really distances himself from Sanchez in, in, in the more valuable areas for five by five batting average. And, and even to some degree stolen bases, he's, he's kind of the best. Yeah. Nine of them last year, which, you know, in a 60 game season that might translate to two or three, but it's, you know, you're used, if you're probably going to get nothing from a catcher, it's, it's at least something. Um, and then he plays a lot more regularly than Sanchez, and I don't expect that to change with all the DH options the Yankees have. So I, I, I think with the season now, us, us now looking at a 60-game season, uh, assurance of playing time might be the single most important variable for a hitter because any off day is going to mean more of the 
a, a larger percentage of the season missed. And since JT Realmuto excels by so much over the average catcher in that way, I, I, I think he's clearly number one. Uh, I, I won't say it's not even close, but I, I wouldn't really be tempted to take Sanchez over him, regardless of the format. JT Realmuto, a top five catcher in each of the past three seasons, regardless of format, head-to-head points, and in Roto, Gary Sanchez, on the other hand, there's been some volatility in his output. Last year, he finished top five in Roto. The year before that, he was the 12th best catcher. And then back in 2017, he was the best catcher. That's why he was being drafted as a top 20 pick back in 2018. Chris, do you find yourself drafting either one of these guys, Realmuto in the fifth or Gary Sanchez in the seventh? Uh, not very often, but it's not its not a conscious decision not to. It, it's more that it just usually doesn't happen. But, you know, in, in thinking about the 60-game season, Real Muto might be the biggest beneficiary at this position. He's already someone who plays so much like we talked about. You know, he played 145 games, and, you know, I'm not sure how many he started, but I would guess it's around 130 or something like that. You know, he is almost always among the league leaders at catcher and plate appearances and games played, innings caught, et cetera. However, he's also the Phillies' second best hitter, maybe. And so on those days when he's out of the lineup, he might be the DH. Not every day, but it probably will happen at least a handful of times. And I could see him realistically starting 55 games out of 60 you know you 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 take his pace of games started last year and put it to 60 that's it's 51 out of 60 basically that was the pace he was on last year it's totally reasonable to think he might start four or five games at dh yeah yeah i mean their usual and he's in a contract year so i mean i don't know what their plans are but they might just want to run him into the ground and use him as much as they possibly can and he, you know, he prides himself on how much he plays. He thinks that's a big part of his value. He's talk, he talked openly about that this offseason, uh, how the arbitration system sort of lets a player like him down because it, it's, make another football analogy to a tight end, it's sort of like Jimmy Graham. You know, when he, used, he got franchise tagged as a tight end, but he was, being, he was a wide receiver. JT Romuto plays so much more than the average catcher and this was the argument that he made, that he shouldn't be judged by the standards of other catchers. And, and that's a big point of pride for him. So, you know, he's definitely not going to be someone pulling himself out of the lineup. The 60 games in 66 days, like that's, I think it comes out to maybe like one extra off day in that stretch compared to the average 66-day stretch uh, of a baseball season. You know, you figure – less wear and tear coming into the, the short or with the length and off season coming into a shortened season. Maybe he is able to play more games overall. The counterpoint to that would obviously be obviously be that we're playing in the summer. So there's a lot of variables to take into account, but if you're betting on which catcher plays the most games or gets the most plate appearances, I think it's probably JT Realmuto versus the field. And you might take JT Realmuto. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is, is it just a case of like safety versus upside? Because I think Gary Sanchez has more upside. He led the position in home runs last year, 34 home runs, despite being 10th at the position in plate appearances. So there's no doubt. To me, Sanchez is just a headache, man. Like, I'm a Yankee fan. I watch a lot of Yankee games. This guy, like, he has the ability to be the best offensive catcher in the game. His barrel rate was second in baseball last year behind only Nelson Cruz. Like, he makes elite contact when he makes contact but he just strikes out so much. Started hitting too many fly balls last year. Uh, well, does he, he doesn't even strike out that much, Gary Sanchez. It's He's, like it's kind 26, of 26, 27%. 28% last year was a career high. Yeah, Yeah, but okay. So I, I think, maybe, was that kind of an outlier for his career though? It's no? Yeah, I mean, it's by far been the highest that it's yeah. ever been. But it's, you know, 23% in 2017, 25% in 2018, 28 okay. So So he strikes out. You know, it's not it's not crazy, but it is kind of high. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think it's fair to say Gary Sanchez has more upside. It, and it, I think it's fair to say we haven't seen his best case scenario. But if I can channel my inner Adam Azer here, because I know he'd say this if he were on the show. I, 
I, I, you know, JT Real Muto has more upside than he showed last year, too. Looking yeah. at his road numbers from his time with the Marlins, that's obviously a terrible park to hit in. We expected more from him going to Philadelphia for the first time, and we're kind of disappointed at first. He really turned it on in the second half. If I can channel my inner Chris Towers, full season statistics are more predictive than, than half-season statistics, but nonetheless, in his- it was only one season, and I, I, I think it's fair to assume that he may be able to deliver more than he showed last year too. And in his case, uh, the 820 OPS was actually only five thousandths of a point behind his 2018 mark. However, the OPS plus was actually the worst since his rookie season. He had a 108 OPS plus OPS plus um, basically puts everything on a, on an, on the same scale based on what park you play in the league context, et cetera. In 2018, his 825 OPS plus was 126. In 2019, it was his 820 OPS was 108. So basically what that says is he was actually a lot worse relative to the league and park context that he played in, which like, it's not a guarantee that he will be better in 2020 than he was in 2019, but it is pretty clear 2019 was a down year for JT Real Muto and he was still the number one catcher. One word answer. Kind of tells you. One word answer. Would you rather have Real Muto in the fifth or Sanchez in the seventh? Scott? Real Muto. Chris? Agreed. I'll take Sanchez in the seventh, although I do not ever draft either of them just because there's so many other talented hitters and pitchers that are going in the same range that I just don't find myself drafting them. We're not going to typically hit on news and notes here when we're doing the position previews, um, but we did get some news yesterday that I think is worth mentioning quickly. And the Braves GM, Alex Anthopoulos, said that they'll be cautious with their starters, could go just two to three innings. Some will go four innings for the first couple of times through the rotation and then use several others who can go two to three innings in relief behind them. So you'll have a long reliever kind of piggyback off of them uh, to take advantage of their depth and be overly cautious. Scott, this is pretty much expected, right? Because I, I saw some people, myself included, kind of freaking out on Twitter about it. Uh-huh. But Yeah, I, I think Alex Anthopoulos is just saying what every GM is planning on doing. Yeah. I think, you know... It, the reason Anthopolis—I I don't know how many GMs were actually talking to the media yesterday—but the reason Anthopolis got quoted as saying this fairly obvious thing is probably because of a particular question he was asked, or probably because he wanted to brag about the Braves' young pitching depth, and so this presented him an opportunity to do that. But I'm actually encouraged that he was saying. Actually, the way he worded it is maybe the first time or the first couple times. So he, if he's thinking just one or two with that amount of restriction on the workload. I I think that's actually encouraging because I was worried to be more like four or five, you know? Fair enough. Quickly promote some things here. Uh, You can watch us on our Fantasy Baseball Today YouTube channel. Make sure to subscribe. I got this fancy, you know, collared shirt on today. First thing Chris said when he came in was, are we supposed to be dressed up? I had a CBS Sports HQ hit earlier and Honestly, just didn't want to change my clothes. So you can see what we look like on our Fantasy Baseball Today YouTube channel uh, and continue to listen to us uh, wherever you get your podcasts. But specifically on Spotify, we have these playlists where you can go back and listen to all of our mock draft review that we've done and all of our position previews. So if you want to go back and listen to the ones that Adam did with these guys, you can listen to those. If you want to listen to 2.0, those will be part of that playlist as well, and you can find that only on Spotify. We'll get back into the ADP review, but I do want to do sleepers, breakouts, bust, and I threw in an extra category here. A second catcher that you typically draft most in a roto league, sleepers. Scott, get us started with a sleeper you like at the catcher position. Probably my favorite now is Danny Jansen, and I'm sure that's changed from version 1.0 because it's Built largely on what we were seeing and hearing about him in spring training 1.0, which came after catcher preview 1.0. Um, but yeah, I mean, this was a guy everybody was really excited about heading into last year. You look at his minor league track record, really good strikeout to walk ratio, uh, had emerged as a power threat over his last couple minor league seasons, just looked like he had a lot of upside and just fell flat on his face. Uh, he did get a little better as the season went on, but still not not really enough to warrant true enthusiasm, but then he shows up in spring training. He's got a different setup. He's got a different uh, routine. He hits a bunch of home runs in spring training right away. And suddenly enthusiasm is renewed. Uh, 
you know, it, it kind of was across the industry so that he's, it's, uh, it's not always easy to get him as your second catcher, but he goes outside the top 12 at the position still. And I think, you know, he has the upside to be more than that. Certainly. Yeah, his ADP, according to Fantasy Pros, is 294.8. He's the 19th catcher off the board. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit here, Scott, because he's my breakout pick at the catcher oh. position. And oh, it just sneaky. comes back to it comes down to playing time for him if he can, you know, fight off Reese McGuire and play every day. He has power potential. He hit the ball extremely hard last year. His 42.6% hard contact rate was sixth highest among catchers. He's had good plate discipline all throughout his minor league career. You mentioned that spring training he was having. Super small sample size. But he had nine hits in 20 plate appearances with four home runs. So reminding us a little bit of that upside. I don't want to draft him just based on that. But you need a second catcher in a two-catcher league. I have some faith in the upside of a Danny Jansen. Chris, give us a sleeper at the catcher position. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention the guy that Scott couldn't stop writing about as his favorite breakout or sleeper catcher back early in the offseason. You know, we're talking November, uh, December, January when we were talking about these things. Wither Sean Murphy, Scott. Oh, I thought you were going to say the other Murphy who I didn't think you liked. <laughs> no, I don't like Tom Murphy. Uh, <laughs> okay, but Sean Tom Murphy. What did he ever was, do to you? <laughs> Sean. I, I mean, look, man, if you couldn't hit a course field, I'm not going to buy you all of a sudden being a <laughs> hey, good hitter. Hey, he never got a chance it's, to hit yeah. a course field. Right, that, that's but that, not fair. But that's evidence in and of itself. Uh, not really. Um, are, we, are we going to praise the Rockies' handling of young players now? Uh, I mean, I'm definitely not sure that Garrett Hampson and uh, Sam Hilliard and all these other guys are actually good. Yeah, because they haven't. They haven't given us a chance to see. Right. But I don't know. Like, that, let's talk about what Sean Murphy okay, does. Let's get back to Sean Murphy. Murphy. What Tom Murphy doesn't. Sean Murphy, uh, catching prospect. Yeah, still a prospect for the Oakland Athletics. Uh, except that they called him up last season at the end of the year after he recovered from a knee injury. And they basically made him hit their everyday catcher. He played 20 games, got 60 plate appearances, basically all in the last month of the season last year. Hit 245 with an 899 OPS. He walks a good amount in the minors. He's had very good plate discipline. I mean, you're talking about someone who in his minor league career has struck out 165 times in 235 games. That's spectacular. You know, that's like a 17% strikeout rate. Um, hits for some power. Has a like 190 ISO in the minors. And that's obviously not using the juiced ball that we've seen in major league baseball. So there is a chance that you're looking at Sean Murphy as a guy who, I mean, could be a Yasmani Grandal esque hitter. I, I, I doubt batting average is going to ever be something that he really helps you with despite the good contact rate, much like Yasmani Grandal. However, uh, he'll get on, on base. I think he'll hit for power. And great defender. The, great defender. Like, great, like Grandal. Yeah, yeah, great defender, so keep him in the lineup. Yeah. The biggest knock against Sean Murphy, and I, I think, you know, I think it would be reasonable to draft him as a top 10 catcher right now, even without the, the track record, but he just has not been able to stay healthy. I mean, even for a catcher, you're talking about uh, 98 games in 2017, 73 in 2018, 61 in 2019. Uh, I believe he had a knee, uh, a meniscus tear last year during the AAA season that cost him a couple of months. Then he had off-season knee surgery to clean up that knee yep. after the 2019 season. That was a minor uh, procedure. It was not limiting him in spring training at all, and he's had this extra four months to recover from it. But that track record, um, it's hard to ignore. The injury track record, especially given that he is a catcher. He's still going to be behind the plate. You know, they call him the tools of ignorance for a reason. And the concern is definitely playing time more than skill. But if he does stay healthy, uh, I think Sean Murphy could be one of the five or six best catchers in, in fantasy. 14th catcher off the board, according to Fantasy Pros, a 245 ADP for Sean Murphy, former third-round pick. The production's there. 2018 in the minors, he had an 850 OPS. 2019, a 964 OPS. 
in the minors. Good plate discipline, as you mentioned, Chris. 10% walk rate in the majors last year. Uh, and he was eighth among catchers in average exit velocity last season, according to StatCast. 90.7 mile per hour exit velocity there. I will just throw the name out there. Since you mentioned Sean Murphy and his injuries, if he does get hurt, remember the name Austin Allen because he's had three straight seasons of 21 or more home runs in the minor leagues. Last year, it's the PCL, AAA. He hit 330 with an OPS over 1,000. The guy mm-hmm. absolutely mashes. So if he gets a chance, yeah. if Sean Murphy gets hurt, just remember the name, Austin Allen. Aust- I'll throw it Austin out Austin Allen, kind of the, the Padres version of the Rockies' Tom Murphy. Took <laughs> moving to the AL West to give him his opportunity. Yeah, anyway. Sleeper for me, Yadier Molina. I mean, it's not really... It's more so where he's being drafted. I mean, he's the 12th catcher off the board. He's consistently a top 12 catcher in head-to-head points leagues. He just plays so much. Um, And he was actually top five in both formats, in both 2018 and 2017. 27% line drive rate last year was the highest of his career. Mind you, this guy's been around for like 30 years. And his line drive rate was the highest it was last year than any other season. So, in a head-to-head points league, I don't mind Yadier Molina as a fallback option. Although, again, I do want one of those top eight guys. I gave you my breakout already with Danny Jansen. Scott, give us your breakout pick at catcher. It may be kind of a stretch to call him a breakout after the year he just had, but I I do want to highlight somebody I'm actually enthusiastic about drafting. And so I'm going to call Mitch Garver my breakout at this position. And it would be mostly a playing time situation that would be responsible for the breakout because his numbers last year were just... Completely bananas. His he had a 995 OPS that led the position. A 630 slug led the position by far. 357 ISO led the position. His uh, head-to-head points per game were 3.61 compared to JT Real Muto, our consensus number one. Uh, his were 3.05. 3.61. For Garver, 3.05 for Real Muto. That's like the difference between Javier Baez and Nico Goodrum among shortstops. So, you know, that's Garver and the number one at the position. That tells you how much he uh, excelled over everybody else. Uh, But it was in a part-time role. Um, They had a left-handed hitter, Jason Castro, there, who was also a great defender. And so they... The Twins still had uh, enough incentive to keep giving him starts, especially against right-handed pitchers. But, you know, Garver earned more and more of a share over the year, over the course of the season, and didn't really slow down. So, you know, Castro's gone now. Garver, presumably, it's it's his job virtually every day. And after the season he just had, I mean, he could afford to take a pretty significant step back and still wind up being the top catcher. Um, there's a chance maybe it was just an entire fluke, of course, but he tends to last into the double digit rounds. And I'm certainly willing to take um, a chance on him at that point, given what appears to be the upside. Yeah. Scott and I haven't really agreed on Mitch Garver. I'm definitely more skeptical, uh, but I I do want to take this opportunity to point out Scott was dramatically underselling how good Mitch Garver was last season by comparing (laughs) him to other catchers. Like, saying he was the number one catcher and blah, 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 all these categories, like, it doesn't give you the full picture. I'm sorry. You need to be more fair to Mitch Garver. Uh, Wait. Among players, among players, like, um, Mitch Garver was not the best hitting catcher in baseball. Okay. Mitch, like, that is an insult to how good Mitch Garver was. Okay. All right. Let's hear it. What's your... He was ninth, among players with 350 plate appearances, he was ninth in WOBA. In baseball. Yeah. He was first, first in isolated slugging percentage ahead of Mike Trout, ahead of Jordan Alvarez, Christian, like all of those guys. It was Mitch Garver, number one. And then you look at all the stat cast metrics. He was exactly like there was, it may have been a fluke what Mitch Garver did. And I am definitely skeptical of what he did because this was so out of place from what he's done in his career for with almost no exceptions. There might've been one stretch in the minors where he hit somewhat like this, but the stat cast data suggests there was absolutely nothing fluky about it at all. Yeah. You mentioned uh, there might've been one other time where he was 
not this good, but was very good. And that came back in 2017 in the minors when he hit 17 home runs with a 928 OPS. I actually used to work with Nando DeFino, and I remember that season where he's like, they've got to call up Mitch Garver and give him a chance. He was touting him before <laughs> I, I, anybody I remember, else. I remember writing about Mitch Garver in the prospects report back then. <laughs> he reminds yeah, he reminds me a little bit of like a Josh Willingham type, a guy who probably deserved an opportunity a lot earlier than he got one. Like Christian and, Walker. Sure, yeah. Um, but the other thing with Mitch Garver is he did become a different type of hitter. It's not just that he was better last year. It wasn't like just his results were better. He became more of a fly ball hitter. He became much more of a pull hitter. All the and twins. so... Yeah, that, and it was an organizational philosophy for the Twins to get the ball in the air to the, to the pull side of the field where power comes more easily. And so I am skeptical of him repeating it, but it definitely would not surprise me. That was a really weird way of saying that you were skeptical because you basically waxed poetic about how great Mitch Garber was <laughs> for the past two minutes. And it's not He's just the batted, ball data, the batted ball data. It's the plate discipline, too. An 11% walk rate, an 8% swinging strike rate. I mean, there's really not much that you're going to find in the profile, at least from last year, that's going to push you away from Mitch Garver. Scott, the only pushback I have is, do you think that he will play consistently enough? He was in the 47th percentile in terms of pitch framing, and they brought in Alex Avila. I don't know how much Alex Avila is going to play, but he is a better pitch framer than Mitch Garver. And it's kind of disappointing that he also bats left-handed like Jason Castro did because Garver's a right-handed hitter who had particularly impressive numbers against lefties. Now, he still had a 902 OPS against righties, so it's not like he deserves to get set against righties or anything, but just having that lefty-righty thing, uh, it, it, it worries me a little. But, I mean, part of it was Jason Castro had a big contract and he's like premier defender premier catcher defender right and Alex Avila isn't that so I'm hopeful I, I wouldn't say I'm confident but I'm hopeful that Mitch Garver will be treated more like a full-time catcher this year even if he isn't even if he's starting 70% of the time 65% of the time it there's it, it's still likely he'll live up to his top five billing at the position it's just if he plays every day I mean he could end up being number one Chris, who's your breakout catcher? Uh, so in my actual catcher preview, it's Omar Narvaez, which, you know, he sort of had that early season breakout last year, but he couldn't sustain it. And then you look at the underlying metrics and really doesn't hit the ball very hard, really doesn't look like someone who should, who, who, who should hit for much power. However, he is another guy like Mitch Garver. You know, he doesn't hit the ball nearly as well as Mitch Garver, but when he hits the ball in the air, he hits it almost exclusively to the pull side. He gets the most out of what little or what average raw power he has. And now he's going to be a left-handed hitter playing half his games at Miller Park. That is going to be good for him. He is someone who, you know, I think has a relatively safe floor. I mean, you're looking at last year, he had 278 with 22 homers. He was pretty good for a catcher. Uh, I think both of those numbers could improve. I could see him hitting better than 278. I could see better than a 220, a 22 home run uh, pace. Now, that being said, if Wilson Ramos qualifies, I think Wilson Ramos is a breakout. I, I have him as a sleeper, just because I think he's being he's being drafted so late. I think he is literally being slept on. But Wilson Ramos <laughs> hit the ball. <laughs> as hard as ever last year. I mean, we saw him in 2018. He was arguably the best catcher in baseball on a per game basis. He hit the ball just as hard last season. It was entirely in the ground. I've said it many times before I've made this, the joke that he did not have a launch angle yet last year. It was 0.0 degrees, his average launch angle. You're, you're making a, an I, it was a zero that you were doing. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's a zero. Yeah. Up or something. <laughs> that's all the uh, zero yeah. that I'm doing. Wilson that's implied, Ramos. Chris. <laughs> I mean, we need to get a, a wrap it up button like in <laughs> Chappelle's show uh but yeah Wilson Ramos spent the offseason working on elevating the ball he's not someone who needs to be a fly ball hitter but he needs to hit the ball you know on a line he's got a great swing for that and when he does that uh he is one of the two or three best hitting catchers in baseball 
And I, I think there's a very good chance he will be that again this year. He's, he's another one. It wouldn't surprise me if he was right there with JT Ramuto besides the stolen bases. All right, let's move on to busts here. Scott, who do you have as your bust at the catcher position? Well, this isn't someone I'm necessarily scared to draft, but my enthusiasm has diminished, uh, I'm sure, since we did Catchers 1.0, and it's it's Carson Kelly. And the, the main concern is playing time. It's kind of... It, 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 it's kind of on the same level of Mitch Garver, but it goes even further where you look at Carson Kelly's splits. He hit 356 with an 1128 OPS against lefties. Amazing, right? Against righties, he hit 203 with a 708 OPS. And the Diamondbacks brought in Steven Vogt, a bat first lefty, uh, to be Carson Kelly's backup. So. I, I could just see how it ends up being close to a strict platoon between those two because of that. Also worth pointing out, Kelly in the second half hit 207 with a 746 OPS. So it's not like he he finished strong. Now the overall numbers, they, they look great. Great plate discipline, a good power profile. Looks like Carson Kelly, you could certainly make the case he's a breakthrough candidate this year. Um, and, I, and I might have if they didn't bring in Steven Vogt. It just seems like... it. it it just seems like they did it with Kelly's splits in mind, and um, and that that worries me for his playing time, especially in a shorter season. Chris, who's your boss at the catcher position? Will Smith. Uh, he is. It, it, look, it's hard to have a bust at catcher. Like even Will Smith, he's the sixth catcher off the board. His ADP is one sixty one. If Will Smith busts, who cares, right? Like the investment there, you're. Your chances of your one hundred, the hundred sixty-first overall pick hitting are relatively slim anyway. However, uh, you know Will Smith is being drafted sixth overall catcher ahead of you know Salvador Perez, who I think actually does have a pretty similar profile to him. Wilson Ramos, who I just think is better. Um, the biggest problem is he's a no batting average, all power catcher. He'll walk, which will help, but you know in, in a roto league especially you're basically just hoping he hits for, you know, a a 30 homer pace like he did last season. There's a lot of swing and miss in his game. There are a lot of contact issues in his game. Uh, He's another one of those players who may uh, skirt the line between passive and patient. And I'm just not quite sure he's going to be that 25 to 30 homer guy that we saw last season. Uh, The underlying batted ball metrics don't really back it up. Uh, he had a 225 expected batting average last season, 452 expected slugging percentage. Uh, I just, I don't see any reason to make him your priority at the position. If you're gonna, if you're gonna reach on a small sample size superstar from last season, just make it Mitch Garver. Uh, yeah, he is going three or four rounds ahead of Will Smith, but. I think that's worth the reach rather than trying to thread the needle on Will Smith. The bust for me is Christian Vasquez, who randomly broke out last season. He's the ninth catcher off the board with a 198.2 ADP. Yes, he's going late, but still being drafted as a top 10 catcher. I'm just very skeptical of the power that we saw. 23 home runs. Uh, He had a home run to fly ball rate of 16%. Before last season, that was never higher than 6.8%. Entering last season, he had 10 home runs in 999 plate appearances. So... I do have some skepticism when it comes to Christian Vasquez. Uh, He's barely ranked inside my top 12. I don't think he should be drafted as a top 10 catcher. Quickly, Scott, who is a second catcher in Roto that you find yourself drafting a lot? Uh, Well, if I'm not going to go with Danny Jansen, I'm going to go real deep here for Isaiah Kiner-Falefa. You drafted him in our Roto mock draft last night, I noticed. I I, I did, yeah. There was actually some genuine enthusiasm building for him in spring training 1.0. Another guy who made a lot of adjustments at the plate and was suddenly putting on a pretty impressive power display. Now, it was a tiny sample, so, you know, if if not for the narrative backing up, you wouldn't want to make too much of it. But it, it seemed like the Rangers were so encouraged by what they were seeing. They were actually talking about making Isaiah Kiner-Falefa their, their primary third baseman, and which would give him a 
pretty significant playing time advantage uh, over the average catcher as well. And in addition to maybe shocking everybody with, with the actual production he put up. So, you know, I don't know where they stand with that now, three months later, uh, maybe they they'll have cooled off. Maybe they'll be favoring Nick Solak for, for that spot or, um, you know, going back with moving Todd Frazier over there and sticking with Ronald Guzman at first base. But, uh, uh, but, you know, if they're singing the same tune in spring training 2.0, I think Isaiah Kiner-Falefa is being highly, highly overlooked at a position where, you know, it, it runs out of upside plays pretty quickly. I appreciate that you went super deep on this one, yeah. Scott, because <laughs> so did I. I have Austin Romine, who is now with the Detroit Tigers, expected to be their starting Homer. catcher. Homer, former Yankee, former Yankee great. Um, 18 home runs over his last two seasons, 505 plate appearances. And last year he hit 281 with a 748 OPS. Expected to play every day uh, in some 15-team leagues. I've wound up with him as my second catcher, and I don't mind it. Chris, do you have a second catcher in mind that you grab a lot if you're in a roto draft? Well... I mean, I'm sure you were looking for a different answer than one of the sleeper picks that we've already used, but Danny Jansen is the second catcher. I, I know you guys went a lot deeper than that. I'm a little skeptical that you guys are actually drafting Austin Romine. And oh, I'll, I'll show I you just the did it last night. And honestly, in a, honestly, in a standard, in two catch, I have more than one two-catcher league where my two catchers are Danny Jansen as number one and Isaiah Kiner-Falepa as number two. Uh, there, I, I think there are better number two catcher options than Isaiah Kiner Falefa and Austin Roman, but that's okay. Uh, I will go with Danny Jansen. He is someone that I really like drafting a lot. Uh, kind of my ideal catcher group is probably Wilson Ramos in like the 14th round and Sean Murphy or Danny Jansen, or actually even Buster Posey, who I, I actually like quite a bit especially now that Gabe Kapler came out and said that, I mean, you know, we all know why he said that Joey, that playing this year in the majors would not necessarily be the best thing for Joey Bart's development. Uh, but that is a thing that he said, at least to start the year. So don't expect Joey Bart to come for that job. And honestly, I have a hard time seeing like, if you have a top prospect and you're not going to call them up at the start of the season, Unless there's an injury, I don't really see the path to calling them up. Like, you're really going to be like, ah, he's looking great against our organizational depth arms that we like. I, I just think that's kind of stupid. Uh, but maybe. But either way, Buster Posey had extra time off this offseason to rest. 2018 offseason, 2019, coming into 2019, he was coming off hip surgery. I believe it was a microfracture, really serious injury to come back from. If nothing else, I think Buster Posey's a fairly safe bet to give you something like what Wilson Ramos did last year. A good batting average, kind of empty, but that's probably a starting catcher. And in a two-catcher league, it's definitely a starting catcher. Chris, get over here. Give me a virtual hug. Because last night in the mock draft, I have I took Wilson Ramos and Buster Posey as my two catchers. So. There you go, man. I mean, <laughs> look, most even like useful fantasy catchers hit like 245 or 250. Like that's probably what you're hoping for for Danny Jansen is that he's like 255, 260 with a, with homers. You know, you might just be better off grabbing Wilson Ramos and Buster Posey locking in two catcher spots where you won't be hurt on batting average. Cause that's, you know, one of the biggest places where catcher is a drain. Let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll jump Back into ADP review. Look at the the near elite tier. Yasmani Grandal, Wilson Contreras, and we already spoke about him, but Mitch Garver. We'll do that here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. 
Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to Fantasy Baseball Today. The near elite tier in ADP, Yasmani Grandal, 98 is his ADP. He's going around the 8th, ninth round. Wilson Contreras, 110 ADP, going around the ninth, 10th round. And Mitch Garver, we've already mentioned him, a 118.4 ADP, going around the 10th round. So, Scott, who would you prefer? Yasmani Grandal in the 8th, Wilson Contreras in the 9th, or Mitch Garver in the 10th? I think you, I probably know where you're going. <laughs> I do rank Mitch Garver last of that group. It's 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 really tricky for me because both of those two, Yasmani Grandal and Wilson Contreras, they've been so bankable for so long uh, that it, this this fly by night Mitch Garver guy, as much as he excelled last year, uh, you know, it's it's really hard to take that him over them. And yet, I'm I'm kind of. I'm kind of willing to sell out for upside, particularly in a one catcher league where I know the waiver wire is going to have some fallback options. But what sometimes happens is I see Wilson Contreras and Yasmani Grandal are out there and I'm, I'm waiting for somebody else to take them so that I can then take Mitch Garver and then somebody else swoops in and takes Mitch Garver. And when that happens, I'm, I'm less likely to take Contreras and, and, and uh, and Yasmani Grandal than I would have been if Mitch Garver to take Mitch Garver if he was the last one left. So um, I don't know. I have taken Yasmani Grandal before. I know. I don't remember taking. I probably have taken Contreras before too when they were the last one left of that trio. Um, but I'm not as enthusiastic about it as I am Garver. Right? You know. I I I think you're not going to end up replacing them if you take them. They're going to be very solid. Um, they're going to be an advantage against most teams. Is it going to be a huge advantage? Probably not, but it'll be an advantage, sure. Chris, Yasmani Grandal has been so consistent over the past four seasons, 22 or more home runs in each of those. And from a points league perspective, he just walks so much. A 17% walk rate was tied for second in all of baseball behind only Alex Bregman. Wilson Contreras also walks a lot as well, but on the contrary to someone like Grandal, he hits a lot of ground balls and relies on a very high home run to fly ball ratio. Who do you prefer between Grandal and Wilson Contreras? Grandal, for sure. Um, you know, I, I think the Contreras-Garver comparison is more interesting because, you know, I've had the discussion with a few people who will just point to, like, look at their batted ball metrics. And Mitch Garver clearly stands out compared to Wilson Contreras. The thing is, Wilson Contreras' batted ball metrics have basically never supported yeah. what he's done. And at some point, you know, we're, what, 2,000 plate appearances into his career where he's had four seasons, one of them wasn't good. Mm-hmm. I think you just kind of have to say, Wilson Contreras, for whatever reason, and I'm sure if you dig into it, you can probably find that, like, he has a knack for hitting them where they ain't or he's, you know, abnormally high as a you know, extreme pull hitter rather than to the, the uh, power alleys or something. There's something, something weird, yeah. That most players don't that he has a, as a consistent skill. And so, you know, I think you can say, well, Garver's got the – Garver's a better hitter. Um, but, you know, I think – I view Contreras and Grandal, they're, they're kind of the Hippocratic Oath tier at catcher, first do no harm. <laughs> they're not going to be, like Scott said, a huge edge, but they're, they're two of the catchers who definitely will not hurt you. You will never have to think about them. Yeah, they might not be a huge edge, but they are an edge. There's no doubt about it, and, and yeah, that's and why they're drafted as top five catchers. I, I, well, how big, how big of an edge were they over like Christian Vasquez and Omar Narvaez last year? And it's it's reasonable to be skeptical of what Vasquez and Narvaez did last year, but I, I don't think it was a huge edge. So Wilson Contreras averaged 2.9 fantasy points. They both averaged 2.9. Contreras and Yasmani Grandal, and Christian Vasquez was at 2.6. Omar Narvaez was at 2.4. Yeah. So a decent okay, that's advantage. bigger than I was thinking. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. that's, I, let me see, versus, I, the, I think in a Roto context, that gap would yeah, be Yeah, the difference right? was smaller in Roto. Yeah. Uh, Grandal was 111th overall. Vasquez was 128th. Contreras was 165. Uh, 
Narvaez was 180. So the gap in Roto was much smaller. However, you know, Wilson Contreras only had 360 at-bats last season. So, you know, that's yeah. a, a part of it. Yeah. And also, I just think we saw kind of sort of regular Yasmani Grandal. I think Yasmani Grandal probably had a higher end outcome, whereas Wilson Contreras just kind of had a a good Wilson Contreras season that was short. Christian Vasquez played to his like 97th percentile, I think last season. I don't, I don't think, you know, you're going to see a season like that from him again. I think he's basically, you're hoping moving forward, he can be a double digit Homer guy with a good batting average. Not, Um, not to, not, not to hang us up, but Grandal, uh, you said he had kind of a, that was a best case scenario for Grandal. The Brewers, used him a lot more than the Dodgers ever did. The Dodgers always had yeah. good backup catchers with Grindall there. Now he's going to the White Sox, who have an all-star catcher. Like, James McCann yeah. was an all-star last year. You know, Grindall's an all-star. Nonetheless, it's a lot better than what I, the Brewers had to I work think with. And they the signed biggest, him to a long-term yeah. deal. And I'm just not confident the playing time will be yeah. as consistent for Grindall, which is especially notable in a season a 60 game season. No, I agree with that. And Grindall is, uh, you know, sort of an accumulator. That next best tier in terms of ADP, all of these three catchers are separated by 10 spots in ADP right now. Will Smith going 161st, Salvador Perez 167.6, and then Wilson Ramos at 171. Scott, who do you prefer between Will Smith, Salvi Perez, and Wilson Ramos? Do you target this group at all? I don't really. Uh, there was a time when I was lumping Will Smith in with the top five and considering it a top six because I think he showed that kind of upside last year. He, uh, you know, Garver had the best ISO, but Will Smith's was right there. Um, but a closer look at the numbers, you know, a little, a little more worried about the floor for Will Smith to the point that I just don't want to make the investment in him. So of those three... I'd probably sell out for the upside of Will Smith if, if you forced me to take one. Uh, but I, I just generally pass over this group entirely unless one of them happens to slide behind Narvaez and Vasquez, which I don't recall seeing, but I guess it's possible. Chris, why do people not like Salvador Perez? I, I love Salvador Perez, and I feel like he's disrespected, actually, at this ADP. You know, even in a points league, he doesn't walk that much, but it's canceled out by how much he plays. Mike Matheny is now his manager. Mike Matheny was also the manager of Yadier Molina with the Cardinals, someone who he played very often there as well. So I actually think the year off for Salvador Perez is going to keep him more fresh this season than he has been in years past. That's just an unknowable thing, I think, is the problem. Uh, part of it is, I think, just out of sight, out of mind. We haven't seen him in a year. Uh, but I think part of it is just, you know, he will be 30. He's got a lot of miles. And we don't know how he's going to come back from Tommy John surgery. Presumably, he will come back, be his normal self. Uh, you know, that kind of empty, basically just power guy you know he that's all you could really count on. career 266 hitter it's not doesn't hurt you uh yeah but that was that's really heavily weighted towards the early years uh he hasn't hit better than 268 in his last five seasons and two of the last three have been below 250 I, I think you can pretty safely say that the best case scenario is probably he's not hurting you in average but it's very unlikely he helps you much and so then you're just hoping for that 25 to 30 homer pace to come back. And in an era where, you know, as we talk about all the time, home runs are the easiest thing to find. I just, I don't know how much he stands out anymore. I trust it for Salvador Perez. 21 or more home runs in four straight seasons from 2015 to 2018. I think there's a chance he can DH. I think they could slide him in at first base. I think they can get creative with Salvador Perez. I mean, He's probably still one of their better hitters, I would say. So, for those reasons, a lot of playing time. Uh, I'll take him regardless of format. He's really a catcher that I target a lot as my as my number one catcher where he's going. The fallback options at the position. We've talked about him a lot. Christian Vasquez has a, a 198 ADP going in round 17. Omar Narvaez, 203 ADP, round 17 as well. Uh, Carson Kelly, 211 ADP, round 18. Yadier Molina, 
229 ADP, round 19. We're starting to get into the area where there's concerns for every one of these catchers that you're drafting. Carson Kelly, you brought up the splits, Scott. Um, Christian Vasquez, where did he come from? Is this guy for real? Omar Nervaez's stat cast page is, there's a lot of blue on that page. It's not a good thing. Uh, and then Yadier Molina, I don't mind him as a fallback option, but he's, he's 37 years old. So, Scott, do you like anyone from this group? Who do you prefer? Uh, I rank, uh, I rank the highest is, uh, the one I rank the highest is Carson Kelly, who I know I just picked as my bust pick at the position, but you know, other side of the coin, there's a ton of upside too. If he can stay in the lineup often enough against righties and maybe show some improvement against them, it, the stat cast data is good enough that maybe he's this year's Mitch Garver. So yeah, he's probably the one I'm taking if, if I'm, if I'm granted the luxury of choice. Uh, but once we get to this stage of the catcher rankings, I, I'm pretty much willing to take the last of what's left. So I'm most often I'm drafting either Narvaez or Vasquez, maybe Sean Murphy, who I know you didn't mention yet, but I put him in the same tier. Like if I Mitch out, if, if I Mitch out, if I miss (laughs) out on Mitch, then, uh, then yeah, I'm usually taking one of those three Vasquez, Narvaez or Sean Murphy. Yeah, I like Omar Nervais. You brought him up, Chris, and his batted ball profile, 27.5% line drive rate for his career. That is incredibly high. I mean, especially for not just a catcher, just in general. That's high for any player. So he hits a lot of line drives. Last year, he raised his fly ball rate 11%. He crushes right-handed pitching. You mentioned that he's a lefty hitter in Miller Park. The stat cast numbers are not good, but I'm willing to overlook that. From this group, I like Omar Nervais and... Yadier Molina, uh, if I wait in a two-catcher league, grab one of those guys as my first catcher, or, you know, those are fallback options for me in a one-catcher league. Yeah, I want to go back to Carson Kelly for a second, just because I'm not... I don't think the splits are as bad as they seemed last year. You know, he did only have a 624 OPS against lefties, and he was... or righties, and he was consistently a higher OPS hitter against left-handed pitching than right-handed pitching in the, in the minors. So, you know, I I think it's fair to continue to expect that. However, he had a 200 BABIP and he was actually, he was a better contact hitter against righties. He was a better contact hitter against righties. He put the ball in play more often. Now that came with more infield fly balls. He came with fewer line drives. He is a worse hitter against righties than he is against lefties. I think we can say, Fairly certainly. I just went back four years through his stats in the minors, and he was like a, about 75 to 100 points worse against righties every single year in OPS. But I don't think that means he's going to be terrible. You know, I, I think if you had, if you just plug in like a two, I don't know, 250 uh, BABIP against them last year, you're probably looking at more like a 700, maybe 740 OPS against right handed hitters or right handed pitchers. And in, in that case, you're not sitting him ever. And, and, and then there's something really weird in his splits where on the road against righties, he was actually fine. Hit 240 with a 760 OPS. It was just at home. He had a 149 Babbitt and had a 463 OPS against righties at home. Maybe it's something about the, the, the batter's eye in Chase Field. But that says to me that it was probably more a case of bad luck and I have more confidence that Carson Kelly is going to be at least passable against righties to the point where I'm not worried necessarily about Steven Vogt taking a significant amount of playing time from him. Yeah, and that's fair. I think, you know, the comp that you made, Scott, is that he could be this year's Mitch Garver. It's not crazy because uh, Carson Kelly hits the ball extremely hard. A 48.7% hard contact rate led all catchers last year. Among all catch, you know, catchers with 350 or more plate appearances, that was number one. And he does have very good plate discipline as well. The upside's there for Carson Kelly. It just comes down to playing time. If you think Stephen Vogt isn't really going to take anything away, then you probably should be targeting Carson Kelly. This next tier is really, I call it the last resorts, but not really because Sean Murphy is part of this tier. I just lumped these guys in with ADP. I don't mind Sean Murphy myself, but Jorge Alfaro goes... Uh, just ahead of him, 241 at, in ADP. Murphy is 245. Buster Posey, 257. Travis Darno 260. And then Tom Murphy is 264. So 
All five of these catchers are separated by about 25 picks. They all go pretty close to each other. Are we across the board? Sean Murphy, we prefer him the most of this group. Yeah, I have him a tier above the others. Okay. Uh, actually, I have him two tiers above the others. So hmm. so that stands out in terms of ADP just right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think it's actually it's a pretty similar profile to Will Smith. And that's part of why I don't have all that much interest in Will Smith is I think I can get a, a similar player 100 picks later. Sean Murphy, you mean? Yeah. And I think you'll, you'll get oh. a better batting average than Sean Murphy. From Sean yeah, Murphy. Big strikeout disparity there. Right, right. But I think he's going to be a relatively low batting average guy in spite mm. of that. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, now, I this is my opportunity to talk about the other Murphy. <laughs> Tom Murphy. As much as Chris doesn't want to. Uh, nonetheless, it's hard not to be impressed by his production last year especially since his minor league track record basically his very lengthy minor league track record backs it up 18 18 home runs and 260 at bats uh now the the lefty righty splits they are he can't uh, hit righties carson kelly levels of extreme 211 with a 653 ops against righties 347 with an 1103 ops against lefties and strikeout rate is through the roof so like he's not going to be. He ended up hitting 273 last year. I think, um, you know, I think he just happened to get hot at the right time and it salvaged that batting average. He's not going to be a much help in batting average, but like the power's legit. He's going to hit a lot of home runs when he is in the lineup. And with Omar Narvaez leaving going to Milwaukee, my assumption heading into draft prep season is Tom Murphy's just the starter now. Um, but. Austin Nola, Aaron Nola's brother, who's kind of a super utility guy who also plays catcher. He's Tom Murphy's uh, alternate at the position. And Scott Service, the Mariners manager, said heading into spring training that it was going to be more like a 50-50 split between the two. Which, you know, it's probably... If that 50-50 split works out so that Murphy's hardly playing against righties, uh, ratio-wise, it's going to be a lot better for him. Um but Austin Nola also batting right-handed. I'm not exactly sure how that split's going to break down. I think, like, I'm approaching Tom Murphy. Uh, I don't know how long the listeners have been playing fantasy baseball, but I, I think of him like Mike Napoli during Mike Napoli's Angels days, where he was the backup catcher who played a lot more than the average backup catcher and was very productive when he did. I think Tom Murphy could be that, and that would make him a very solid number two catcher at Roto Leagues, like a desirable number two catcher, but it would also make him clearly not a number one catcher. Yeah, I don't mind Jorge Alfaro as a fallback in Roto here, a second catcher. He hits the ball entirely too much on the ground, but he hits the ball extremely hard. Chris, I know you've referenced the type of athlete that he is. He strikes out a lot. His plate discipline is terrible, so he is not usable in a head-to-head points league. He averaged 1.9 fantasy points per game last season. But in Roto, I think that there's a little something there for Jorge Alfaro. Uh, Chris, Travis Darno was tied for ninth in fantasy points per game last year. He was top 12 in Roto. But he doesn't get any love. Why is that? Maybe my recollection is wrong and someone else can uh, set me straight, but Travis Darno, it was like really heavily weighted toward like one stretch in the season, right? Like he produced yep. a ton in a very small boost burst. Yeah. In kind like, of a Yuli Guriel thing, yeah. Uh yeah. Let me so it was July. He had he had 342 with eight home runs. He had five home runs in June, hit 274. So not not necessarily all in July, but then from that point on, he pretty much hit 240 with three home runs and 150. Uh, 166 plate appearances and Travis Darno just seems like the definition of just a guy to me um, as, even at the catcher position which is saying very little like you look at his career it's, it's not like he hasn't played much you know I think last year maybe it was a you know maybe the Rays figured something out or maybe he just kind of had a good couple of weeks and like you look at it, it's 246 career batting average like decent strikeout rate, but actually was really much worse last year. I just, I don't think he does anything well enough to be more than like, like he might be the platonic ideal of the fallback number two catcher. And I think playing time should be split pretty significantly 
between him and Tyler Flowers, who's an excellent pitch framer. Yeah. The rest of the catchers going outside the top 290 in ADP. Francisco Mejia, Danny Jansen, we spoke about him. Roberto Perez. Roberto Perez was a top 12 catcher last year in both head-to-head points and roto. Uh, Robinson Chirinos, Kurt Suzuki, James McCann, and Jason Castro. Outside of Danny Jansen, Scott, any interest in here? Roberto Perez, top 12 last year, but no one's buying it. Yeah, I mean, he hit 24 home runs. It's certainly, uh, you know, he hadn't really shown that kind of power before, but you can only get so picky about your catcher at this point in the rankings. Yeah. You know, and a guy who hit 20 home runs last year is, is more desirable than one who didn't. Robinson Chirinos, he's shown that kind of power for a few years in a row now. He ended up with 17 last year, three years in a row with 17 or 18. Uh, but he's 36, and the playing time isn't super consistent for him. So it's, you know, I I don't think I don't think it's a disaster actually if you end up with either of those guys as your starting catcher. I I think you'll be you'll be wanting to look to upgrade, but they'll they'll have big weeks. Um, but yeah, they're not they're not exciting. Chris, anything here? Mejia, Danny Jansen, Roberto Perez, Torinos. Kurt Suzuki, James McCann, Jason Castro. Womp, I mean, Mejia, Mejia and Jansen stand out uh, yeah. as the only two, like really, the only two young guys in this group, for one thing. Um, Just give Mejia playing time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm not exactly sure why I like Danny Jansen more than Mejia. Because um, their seasons were actually pretty similar, very bad starts. Danny Jansen didn't hit a home run for like the first month and a half of the season. Um, Both came on strong in the second half. I'm not hundred percent sure why I prefer Jansen to Mejia, but it might just be that playing time. Jansen has much less uh, competition. You know, I'm not a uh, Austin Hedges fan. I know he's a great pitch framer, but that's enough to keep him in the lineup as long as uh, Francis Mejia isn't overwhelming. You know, if he can become that, then maybe so. Yeah, I know Adam references this a lot when it comes to Mejia, but from June on, he returned from uh, the minors. 60 games, his final 60 games, 297 batting average, 8 home runs, 25 runs scored, 19 RBI, and an 844 OPS. His 844 OPS from that point on was higher than Gary Sanchez and JT Real Muto. So the upside is there for Francisco Mejia. Just needs some playing time consistently for the Padres. All right, that'll do it for our Catcher Preview 2.0. For Scott and Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching on the Fantasy Baseball Today YouTube channel. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye.